Section twenty five of Celebrated Travels and Travelers, Volume two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Piotr Nater. Celebrated Travels and Travelers, Volume two. Great Navigators of the Eighteenth Century by Jules Verne. Second part, Chapter one, Part one. French Navigators, one B. On the 21st of October, after nine days' rest, the Saint-Jean-Baptiste left port Praslin. On the next and ensuing days, lofty and mountainous land was constantly in sight. Upon the 2nd of November, Surville descried an island which received the name of Contrariété from the contrary winds which for three days checked the progress of the ship. This island presented a delightful appearance. It was well cultivated, and, judging from the number of pirogues, which constantly surrounded the Saint-Jean-Baptiste, it must have been well populated. The natives could scarcely be persuaded to go on board. At last a chief sprang on deck. His first act was to possess himself of a sailor's clothes. He next visited the poop, and took the white flag, which he wished to appropriate. It was only after some difficulty that he was dissuaded from the attempt. Lastly, he climbed up the mizzenmast, and from that elevated position observed all parts of the vessel. Then, coming down, he began to jump about, and, addressing himself to those he had left in the canoes, he invited them, by words and gestures, to join him on deck. About a dozen ventured. They resembled the natives of port Praslin, but they spoke a different language, and could not make themselves understood by Lova Salega. Their stay on board did not last long, for one of them, having possessed himself of a bottle and thrown it into the sea, the captain showed some annoyance, which induced them to return to their pirogues. The land appeared so inviting, and the sufferers from scurvy were in such pressing need of green provisions, that Surville determined to send a boat to test the disposition of the natives. It had no sooner left the vessel than it was surrounded by pirogues, manned by a number of warriors. Hostilities were imminent, but a few shots dispersed the assailants. During the night a flotilla advanced towards the Saint-Jean-Baptiste, and Surville, from motives of humanity, did not wait until the natives were close, but at once fired several pieces, charged with grape-shot, which put them to flight. It was useless to think of landing, and Surville regained the open sea. He discovered successively the Three Sisters Island and Gulf and Deliverance Islands, the last of the group. The archipelago, just explored by Surville, was no other than that of the Solomon Islands, which, as we have mentioned, was discovered in the first instance by Mendana. That skilful navigator had traced and surveyed a hundred and forty leagues, besides drawing a series of fourteen very curious views of this sea-coast. If Surville's crew were not to be decimated by death, it was necessary at all risks to reach land, where he might disembark the sick and procure fresh provisions for them. He resolved to steer for New Zealand, which had not been visited since the time of Tasman. On the 12th of December, 1769, Surville descried land in 35 degrees 37 minutes southern latitude, and five days later he cast anchor in a bay which he called Loriston. At the extremity was a creek which received the name of Chevalier, Cook had been in search of this land since the beginning of October, and was fated to pass by Loriston Bay a few days later without observing the French vessel. Whilst anchoring in Chevalier Creek, 
Surville was overtaken by a frightful tempest, which brought him within an ace of destruction. But his sailors had such confidence in his nautical ability that they felt no anxiety and obeyed his orders with a sang-froid of which, unfortunately, the Maoris were the sole spectators. The sloop which was conveying the sick to the land had no time to reach the shore before the storm broke in all its fury, and she was driven into Refuge Creek. The sailors and invalids were cordially welcomed by a chief called Naginoui, who received them into his cabin, and bestowed upon them all the green provisions which he could procure during their stay. One of the boats, which was towed behind the Saint-Jean-Baptiste, was carried away by the waves. Surville saw it stranded in Refuge Creek. He sent in search of it, but only the rudder was found. The natives had carried it off. The river was searched in vain. There was no trace of the boat. Surville would not allow this theft to go unpunished. He made signs to some Indians who were near their pirogues to approach him. One of them ran to him at once, and was immediately seized and carried on board. The others fled. He seized one pirogue, says Crozet, and burned the other, set fire to the huts, and returned to the ship. The Indian who was taken was recognized by the surgeon as the chief who had so generously assisted them during the storm. It was the unfortunate Naginoui, who, after the services he had rendered the whites, could hardly have anticipated such treatment at their hands when he obeyed Surville's signal. He died on the 24th of March, 1770, near the island of Juan Fernandez. We will pass over the observations made by the French navigator upon the natives and upon the productions of the New Zealand, as they are merely a repetition of those of Captain Cook. Surville, convinced that he could not obtain the provisions he needed, put to sea a few days later, and steered between the parallels of 27 degrees and 28 degrees southern latitude. But the ravages of the scurvy, which increased daily, decided him on steering for the coast of Peru without delay. He sighted it on the 5th of April, 1770, and three days later cast anchor off the Chilica Bay at the entrance of Callao. In his haste to reach the land and seek help for the sick, Surville was unwilling to allow anyone else to visit the governor. Unfortunately, his boat was capsized by the waves that break over the bar, and only one of the crew was saved. Surville and all the rest were drowned. Thus miserably perished this great navigator, too early for the services he might have rendered to his country and to science. As for the Saint-Jean-Baptiste, she was detained for three years before Lima by the interminable delays of the Spanish customs. L'Abbé assumed the command and took her back to Lorient on the 23rd of August, 1773. As we have already related, Messier de Bougainville had taken a Tahitan named Auturu to Europe. When this native expressed a desire to return to his native land, the French administration had sent him to Mauritius, with orders to the governor of that colony to facilitate his return to Tahiti. A naval officer, Marion Dufresne, availed himself of this opportunity, and offered Poivre, the governor of Mauritius and Bourbon, to send the young Uturu to Tahiti, at his own expense, and in a vessel belonging to him. He only required that a vessel belonging to the state might be assigned to him, and a small sum of money advanced to assist him in the preparations for the expedition. Nicolas Thomas Marion Dufresne was born at Saint-Malo on the 22nd of December, 1729, and had entered the naval service very young. On the 16th of October, 1746, he was made lieutenant of a frigate, 
and at the time of his offer was still only captain of a fire-ship still he had served everywhere with distinction and nowhere more successfully than in the indian seas the mission for which he offered himself was merely a pretext for a voyage of discovery in the southern seas poivre an intelligent governor and a friend to progress approved of dufresne's project and gave him detailed instructions for the enterprise he was about to undertake in the southern hemisphere at this time cook had not yet proved the non-existence of an antarctic continent poivre would dearly have liked to have discovered the northern portions of the land he imagined to lie near the french colonies and where he hoped to meet with a more temperate climate he calculated upon finding timber for masts and many other necessities there such as provisions which he was now obliged to obtain at heavy cost from the metropolis moreover there might be a safe port where vessels could find shelter from the storms which almost periodically ravaged the islands of mauritius and bourbon the government had just sent a ship's lieutenant m kerguelen to make discoveries in these unknown seas marion's expedition which was to try a different route could not fail to aid in the solution of the problem on the eighteenth of october seventeen seventy one the mascarin commanded by marion and the marquise de castrier under the chevalier de clusmer midshipman set sail they put in first at bourbon island there they took auturu on board he was unfortunately infected with smallpox which he had caught in the mauritius and the illness soon declared itself so that it was necessary to leave bourbon lest he should communicate it to the inhabitants the two vessels then made for port du pain on the coast of madagascar in order to allow the malady to run its course before proceeding to the cape where they were to complete provisioning young auturu soon died of the disease under these circumstances was it necessary to return to mauritius disarm the ship and give up the expedition morion thought not with greater freedom of action he determined to make himself famous by a new voyage and he inspired his companions with enthusiasm like his own he soon reached the cape of good hope when he completed in a few days the provisioning necessary for the eighteenth month's journey a southerly route was chosen towards the land discovered in seventeen thirty nine by bouvet de lozier and which was to be looked for east of the meridian of madagascar nothing remarkable occurred from the twenty eighth of december seventeen seventy one the day upon which the vessels had left the cape until the eleventh of january it was then discovered by taking the longitude twenty degrees forty three minutes east of the paris meridian that they were in the parallel forty to forty one degrees south of the islands named in van keulen's chart as dina and marvezen and not marked at all upon french maps although the presence of land birds induced marion to suppose that he was not far from the islands he left these latitudes on the ninth of january convinced that his search for the southern continent ought to occupy his entire attention the eleventh of january found him in forty five degrees forty three minutes southern latitude and although it was summer in these regions the cold was severe and snow fell without ceasing two days later in a dense fog which was succeeded by rain marion discerned land which extended a distance of five leagues from the west-southwest to the east-northeast the soundings gave a depth of eighty fathoms with a bottom of coarse sand mixed with coral this land stretched away till it could be seen behind the vessels 
that is to say over a distance of six to seven leagues it appeared to be very lofty and mountainous it received the name of hope marking marion's great desire to reach the southern continent four years later cook called it prince edward's island to the north lay another territory crozet editor of marion's voyage says i noticed in coasting along this island that to the northeast there existed a creek opposite to what appeared to be a large cavern all around the cavern he remarked a number of large white spots which looked like a flock of sheep had time allowed he might have found anchorage opposite the creek i fancied i saw a cascade issuing from the mountains in rounding the island we discovered three islets detached from it two of them situated in the large bay formed by the coast and the third on its northern extremity the island itself was about seven or eight leagues in circumference without verdure and apparently barren the coast was healthy and safe Monsieur marion named it cavern island these two southern territories are situated in forty five degrees forty five minutes southern latitude by thirty four degrees thirty one minutes east of the paris meridian half a degree east of the route pursued by bouvet next day about six leagues of the coast of the land of hope was made out it looked fertile the mountains were lofty and covered with snow the navigators were about to look for anchorage when during the sounding operations the two ships ran foul of each other and were both damaged three days were occupied in repairs the weather which had hitherto been fine broke up and the wind becoming violent it was necessary to continue the course following the forty-sixth parallel new lands were discovered on the twenty-fourth of january at first says crozet they appeared formed of two islands i took a sketch at a distance of eight leagues and shortly afterwards we took them for two capes imagining we could see in the far distance a stretch of land between them they are situated in forty degrees five minutes southern latitude and about forty-eight degrees eastern longitude reckoning from the meridian of paris Monsieur marion named them les îles froides or the cold islands although little progress was made during the night the islands were invisible next morning upon this day the castrier signalled land which stretched some ten or twelve leagues east-south-east but a dense fog lasting no less than twelve hours continued rain and cold which was severe and trying to lightly clad men made any approach nearer than six or seven leagues impossible the coast was seen again upon the twenty fourth as well as new land which received the name of the arid island and is now known as crozet island marion was at length able to lower a boat and ordered crozet to take possession of the larger of the two islands in the name of the king it is situated in forty six degrees thirty minutes southern latitude and forty three minutes eastern longitude reckoning from the paris meridian Monsieur marion called this land la prise de possession it is now known as marion island this was the sixth island discovered by us in these southern waters from a height i discerned snow in many of the valleys the land appeared barren and covered with very small grass i found neither tree nor bush in the island exposed to the continual ravages of the stormy west winds which prevailed the entire year in these latitudes it appeared uninhabitable i found nothing there but seals penguins seagulls mother carries chickens and every variety of aquatic birds usually met with by navigators in the open sea when passing the cape of good hope 
these creatures never having seen a man were not wild and allowed us to take them in the hand the female birds sat tranquilly upon their eggs others fed their youngs whilst the seals continued their gambols in our presence without appearing in the least alarmed marion continued to steer between forty six degrees to forty seven degrees latitude in the midst of a fog so dense that it was impossible to see from one end of the deck to the other and without constant firing the ships must have parted company upon the second of february the two ships were in forty seven degrees twenty two minutes eastern longitude that is to say without one degree ten minutes of the lands discovered upon the thirteenth of the same month by the king's vessels la fortune and la Ventre, commanded by m de Kerguelen and saint wallarn doubtless but for the accident to the castrier marion would have fallen in with them having reached ninety degrees east of the paris meridian marion changed his route and directed his course to van diemen's land no incident occurred during the cruise and the two vessels cast anchor in frederick henry bay boats were at once lowered and a strong detachment made its way to the shore where some thirty natives were found and the country judging from the fires and smoke must have been well populated the natives of the country says crozet came forward willingly they picked up wood and formed a sort of pile then they presented the newcomers with pieces of dried wood which they had lighted and appeared to invite them to set fire to the pile no one knew what the ceremony might mean and it was accordingly tried the natives did not appear surprised they remained about us without making any demonstration either of hostility or friendship and their wives and children were with them both men and women were of ordinary height black in color with woolly hair and all were naked some of the women carried their children tied on to their backs with rushes all the men were armed with pointed sticks and stones which appeared to us to be sharp like hatchets we attempted to win them over by small presents they disdainfully rejected all that we offered even iron looking-glasses handkerchiefs and pieces of cloth fowls and ducks which had been brought from the ship were shown to them as evidence that we wished to trade they took them looked at them as if they had never seen such things before and threw them aside with an angry air an hour had been spent in the attempt to gain the goodwill of the savages when marion and duclesmer landed a lighted brand was also presented to them and fully persuaded that it was a peaceful ceremony they did not hesitate to light the pile which was prepared they were mistaken for the natives immediately retired and flung a volley of stones which wounded the two captains they retaliated by a few shots and the whole party re-embarked after another attempt at landing which the natives opposed with great bravery it was necessary to repulse them by a volley which wounded several and killed one the crew then landed and pursued the natives who made no attempt to resist them two detachments were sent in search of a watering place and of trees suitable for repairing the masts of the castrier six days passed in fruitless search fortunately not wholly wasted as many curious observations were made on behalf of science from the considerable number of shells which we found at short distances says crozet we concluded that the ordinary food of these savages was mussels cockles and various shellfish End of section twenty five